0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today, I think at last, we finally have the end of our Last of Us Leaks Legalities series. You see before you the logo to The Last of Us Part 2. So let's dive right in. It was only a couple of days ago that we were positing that Sony was going to be running out the clock with YouTube, that they were going to use YouTube's policies to essentially allow them to block, without legal action, these videos that they didn't like, the videos from Geeks and Gamers and from other people either associated with that channel or just other folks on YouTube and Twitter and Reddit, that they didn't like talking about the leaks that had come out regarding their game. But in the age of coronavirus two days ago or three days ago is an eon. And apparently at some point after they decided to dispute the disputes, to make geeks and gamers and the rest of these YouTubers go through the appeals process, which would have gotten them another 40 days, someone somewhere at Sony decided to change things around. Over the weekend, we put up a video asking whether this was the end as Sony lifted its claims and its strikes on various channels across YouTube. But not, most specifically, those videos related to the Geeks and Gamers platform, as well as some other smaller YouTubers that did contact me in the comments to my video. But as it turns out, shortly after I put that video together, it was revealed that Musso, this third-party company that is acting on Sony's behalf, was sending out very specific emails to those folks that they hadn't released already. And the email goes a little something like this. Hello, Gaming with Geeks. On behalf of Sony Interactive Entertainment, LLC, SIE, and that's worth pointing out because we did an entire video in this series establishing that Musso was very specifically acting under the direction of Sony Interactive Entertainment unless they were completely lying, which was never really in the cards. And so when you have other people saying that Sony isn't responsible for this, that Naughty Dog isn't a part of these conversations, that's just not the case. Muso is acting under orders. And that's not really a surprise to anybody following this story muso is contacting you about the video you posted on youtube that includes unreleased content from the upcoming game the last of us part two then they name the video they link the video as you know a dmca notice was previously sent on behalf of sie to have this video removed it has been noted that you have responded with a counter notification requesting that youtube repost the video under the dmca As we have talked about in this series ad nauseum, please check out those videos. Your video contains unreleased game content that has not been authorized by SIE for distribution. That might very well be true. Sony definitely didn't authorize the leak of the materials related to The Last of Us Part 2. As a legality, that characterization doesn't actually matter. As we've talked about in the past, Sony has gone out to The Hollywood Reporter and said, you can't publish those emails. We didn't want those to be out there. And news outlets don't have an obligation to listen to that request. They didn't sign a non-disclosure agreement. They don't have a fiduciary obligation to the party that had the materials leaked. That party absolutely has some kind of legal redress that they can go seek from the party that did the leaking. But once they are out there, the fact that they didn't authorize them for distribution doesn't matter. Yes, it's copyrighted material. Yes, if you want to comment on it, you really should find yourself in some kind of fair use exception. But if you do, if you can make that claim, the fact that Sony didn't want it out there is not legally operative. But that's how they characterize the information. They say, including in particular the images that appear on your video at 314 and 405 to 714, so a couple of minutes. That is the only reason the DMCA notice was sent. So they're trying to establish here that they weren't just trying to quash freedom of speech. They weren't trying to kill commentary and these kinds of things. To resolve the situation, SIE proposes, note that they are not saying that they themselves are proposing that at this point in time. They're saying that SIE is the one doing the proposing and they are acting as their agent. Proposes that if you agree to not repost the video to YouTube or alternatively agree to repost the video without the unreleased content then SIE will request that YouTube remove the strike against your YouTube account. If you pull the video, we'll remove the strike. Or if you get rid of the imagery on the video, we will remove the strike. Please confirm by email whether you will agree to one of these options. Thank you. And Ryan, also over at Gaming with Geeks, got the same kind of uh, email. And they linked to a different video. They linked to different times, 342, 112, and 205. And... I will tell you that if you go and you watch these videos, I will link these in the description to my video here, you will see that both Jeremy and Ryan are relatively inclined to accede to this request, to say, you know what, we want these videos back up, this material is, we think, fair use, but we don't want to get into a fight about it, and so... I think Ryan has offered a counter-proposal that he doesn't want to remove the video and repost it because that'll change his analytics. And so there are ways in the YouTube editing suite to essentially blur out the images that Sony is so concerned with. And Sony here, I've labeled it as surrendering because Sony here is going to allow these conversations. Regardless of what happens here, Sony is clearly aware of the fact that just going and using a cannonball or a sledgehammer To kill every critical commentary on these leaks is not a viable position. That you earn the negativity, you earn the ire of what I consider to be a fan of Sony and me saying, no, this is not the right way to deal with the law. This is not the right way to deal with these problems. And so even a guy like me who is otherwise inclined to look forward to PlayStation projects, to look forward to Naughty Dog projects, looks at this and says, no, no. I have a bad taste in my mouth for you having done this and I haven't watched these videos. Probably I wouldn't agree with the substance in these videos. That doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about in virtual legality, whether or not you agree with these people, whether you think they're the best people or the worst people on earth, that doesn't matter. What matters is should a corporation be allowed to game the system to quash commentary, freedom of speech type principles about their commercial product. We aren't talking about national secrets here. We're talking about a video game narrative. And the answer to that question from me is no, that's what brought me to this, right? And what really brought me to this is not these kinds of questions about, oh, you used a picture for a couple minutes. Oh, you might have used a clip or referenced a piece of script for a couple minutes. What brought me to this originally was Jeremy's claim that he didn't use any material that all he was doing was talking about the narrative, critiquing what Naughty Dog was putting out there or what was believed to be putting out there based on the leaked materials. And that bugged me. If you don't use a screenshot, if you don't use a clip, if you don't use any of that information, there is absolutely no way you are infringing on copyright save for reading directly from the script or quoting direct things. And if you're not doing those things, and even those... I would argue, are probably under fair use as long as you're critiquing, commenting, and transforming that work. But absent the use of that material, then there is no reason that Sony or Naughty Dog or Musou or anyone else should be striking the video. And we're going to get to that at the end of this one. But what we're talking about right now are instances at the Geeks and Gamers site or the Gaming with Geeks site, Ryan's site here, in which they will admit that they used a screenshot. Maybe they used a meme. Maybe they used something along those lines. I haven't watched these videos because I don't want to have this information leaked to me, but they will admit to those kinds of things. And that's always going to be an open question, right? We talked about it as the series progressed here with respect to The Last of Us legalities. We talked about how counter notifications work. We talked about the difficulty in rejecting a DMCA takedown based on fair use because of the overbreadth that these copyright holders are given, the latitude they are given to say, yes, we thought about fair use and we found it wanting. And when you've got information that was stolen from you, if you are Sony, you're basically always going to win the second factor, the nature of the work. It's commercial, it's creative, and it was stolen. So you're always going to win factor two. Now, the commenters are likely to win the other three factors. They're likely to win that they're critiquing the work, that maybe they're using parodies of the work. Maybe whatever it is that they are doing falls under that transformation, but they're likely to win that because they're talking about it on YouTube. They're likely to win that they're not using a substantial amount of the work. They're not using all of The Last of Us Part Two because, frankly, that wasn't leaked. And they're likely to win that they aren't changing the market for The Last of Us Part Two because, again, that factor is about whether or not their video acts as a substitute for playing The Last of Us Part Two. You even had quotes from Neil Druckmann and Naughty Dog in general that said these leaks can't possibly compare to the actual experience of playing the game, which is great because it means Factor 4 is done. YouTubers win Factor 4 because whatever they might say about a screenshot can't possibly compare to playing the game. By the way, I think that's right. I don't think there's any reason to argue with Neil or Naughty Dog or Sony or anyone else on that point. Playing a video game is very different than watching someone talk about a screenshot, and so... While I sit here and say, I think they got a good shot of winning that fair use complaint, it wasn't always a gimme, right? And if it's not a gimme, then the law says that basically a copyright holder can use a DMCA takedown. Even if you would ultimately win at the end of the day, they can use that takedown process to make your life difficult. And that's what happened here. Now, some of you might be saying as you hear this video and you see Sony seeking settlement and you hear that Jeremy and Ryan, who are very kind of vociferous advocates to their ability to have freedom of speech, and you hear him saying, oh, okay, maybe we'll take it down. Maybe we'll re-upload it. Maybe we'll take this information off. Why didn't you just block the video I think Jeremy offers rather than give me a copyright strike because that's an existential threat? All these things. You hear these folks start to say, yeah, okay, we're interested in settling. We don't want to have this fight. We don't want to sue. And I know a number of you have come into the comments to my videos and said, everybody should sue. We should have a class action. We should fight Sony to the mattresses. We should man the battlements and all these kinds of things. And I'm here to tell you that while that makes sense, right? You don't like what Sony's done here. You want to fight them. You want Jeremy and Geeks and Gamers and Gaming with Geeks and everybody else to fight them. It almost never makes sense for the individual. Right? And it's easy for us to sit here and say, yeah, let's fight them. Let's fund a GoFundMe. Let's get them out there. But at the end of the day, they want their stuff up. They don't want to face this existential threat. And that's how leverage dynamics work in litigation. It's an unfortunate fact of life. I've pulled up a, a National Law Review article. I believe it's in the Notre Dame Law Review. This is from 20 years ago. And in this particular kind of description of what happens with respect to settlement and precedent, I think we get a great overview of what's happening here. But I mentioned that this is from 20 years ago because this is something that has been discussed really since the founding of common law litigation settings. We in the United States very much want everyone involved in a litigation to feel like they have autonomy, that they get to decide their own fate. And because we value that, we allow them to settle these things if we are so inclined to do so, right? So if we read this, we note exactly the problem that we are currently working with here in respect to this issue. Settlement and precedent conflict because the former necessarily precludes the latter. This part explores the appropriate balance between private and public interests in order to arrive at an appropriate policy that balances both the need for settlement and the need for precedent. As parts one and two of the article observed, see, we're not going to read all of the parts of this article. Don't worry about it. Litigants generally have an economic incentive to settle. We've talked about that in this space, right? We've talked about the fact that nobody wants to pay the lawyers. If you had a supercomputer that could help you determine what your percentage chance of winning was, what the likely damages were, and each side had access to that computer, you could arrive at a number that made sense for a check to be passed between hands, And nobody would need to pay the legal system. Nobody would need to pay the lawyers. That's all deadweight cost. But that's not the world in which we live. The possible precedential value of a decision in their case matters to them only insofar as they are repeat players who may themselves be affected by that precedent. Right? In the case of Jeremy and Geeks and Gamers versus Sony, who is more likely to find themselves in this situation again? It's Sony. Sony wants to have... Precedent, but they don't want to have legal precedent that could go against them. And so, anytime you get into a situation where it might go against you, where you look at something like this Hoaglaw series and say, Wow, there are a number of holes in our argument. We don't want this to go all the way to trial. That's when you settle. Thus, the private interest, Sony's interest, and Geeks and Gamers' interest is to settle, get this thing done. Don't go through the cost and the time and the danger, the existential threat to either your channel or potentially to Sony, even though that threat doesn't exist at the same level. But the public's interest is more complicated. The public benefits from precedent. We like to know what the law says. And if you've followed this series, you know, with respect to fair use and intellectual property, especially in the digital age especially with respect to YouTube, we don't have a ton of precedent. This often very much doesn't go all the way to the end of a court case. We get settlements and the public likes precedent. That helps it understand what the law is. Thus, in general, the public has a stronger interest in precedent than do the private litigants. However, the public also benefits from a lowered public cost of litigation. Even though litigation is super expensive, imagine how much more expensive it would be if nobody was allowed to settle. If every case that was brought had to go through to its conclusion in a court, we would need 20 times more courts, and that would be massively more expensive. Said another way, while it's nice for us to sit here and say, wow, we wish that they would fight this till the end, it doesn't make sense to them. Sony knows it doesn't make sense to them. There are smart people at Sony. There are smart people at all these giant corporations and there are smart people that are running a lot of these YouTube channels. And everybody can see, okay, we're now in the window where settlement makes sense. But it's still worth noting that Sony's allowing the conversation as they should have at the outset. And while we'd like to see them disincentivized from trying to pull this again, maybe just the nature of this conversation over the past two weeks will help create that disincentive. Also, if I were being cheeky, and I were running one of these sites, I would note that just taking down the material doesn't necessarily limit your ability to link to the material, right? We've pulled up the Digital Media Law Project website, updated pretty recently as of today, and you can see here that it says, the most straightforward case is deep linking, which refers to placing a link on your site that leads to a particular page within another site. No court has ever found that deep linking to another website constitutes copyright or trademark infringement. Therefore, you can link to other sites without serious concerns about legal liability for the link itself, with the exception of certain activities. And they note one of those activities is contributory copyright infringement, which is when you intentionally induce or encourage direct infringement, right? You could have a problem with linking then, Hmm. but maybe not, right? If we go to a pretty famous case here in which the Gawker Media Group wound up linking directly To an illicitly obtained script of Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, we find that linking seems to be something that the court is generally going to allow, even if other people would have read the materials. It says to state a claim for contributory liability, plaintiff must allege that defendant infringed contributorily by intentionally inducing or encouraging direct infringement. In this case, Plaintiff's contributory infringement claim is based on defendant facilitating and encouraging the public's violation of plaintiff's copyright in the screenplay by providing links to copies that someone else had already posted on anonfiles.com and scribd.com. Said another way, someone somewhere stole the script, put it up on these two websites. Gawker said, hey, this script is out there. Here are the links to that script. And Quentin Tarantino sued them for linking to it, saying that they were contributing to the infringement of his copyright. The court says, no, that's not the case. They wind up saying that this isn't the case so much because Quentin Tarantino can't point to anyone that wound up infringing based on that link. But most importantly for this discussion, if we look at the third footnote here, and we've talked about this in the past, the footnotes are somewhat where the fun lives. Even if plaintiff, Quentin Tarantino, alleged that individuals accessed the links contained in defendant's article in order to read plaintiff's script, such an allegation would still not support plaintiff's contributory infringement claim against defendant. Simply viewing a copy of allegedly infringing work on one's own computer does not constitute the direct infringement necessary to support plaintiff's contributory infringement claim. In addition, based on the allegations of the complaint, there can be little doubt that plaintiff has a strong claim for direct infringement against DOE1, aka anonfiles.com. Yeah, the site that actually is hosting it, they could get in trouble. However, plaintiff has not alleged, and it is highly unlikely that plaintiff will be able to plead facts demonstrating that defendant somehow induced, caused, or materially contributed to the infringing conduct by publishing a link to the screenplay after it was wrongfully posted on anonfiles.com. This court says, and like all precedent, this could be overturned under different facts and circumstances and things along those lines. This court says that linking it doesn't contribute to the infringement because it already happened. So if you've got a place where you know these images and these cutscenes exist, you know, maybe you run the risk of linking to it. Maybe you say, sure, we'll take that video down, and you just wind up putting it back up with a link. Now, do I think Sony and Musso would take kindly to that? I do not. But we at least have some direct language on point there that says that a link is not contributing to the infringement. And at bare minimum, you might have an even better claim that they're abusing the DMCA system if they try it again. Now, I can't give specific legal advice to these folks. They aren't my clients. And I don't necessarily recommend being cheeky if you just want this all behind you. But It's worth pointing out that Sony's allowing the conversation. They weren't terribly specific about what has to go up in replacement of the materials that they want to see taken down. And even though I think it's fair use, if you just want to give them that. You absolutely can. But, you know, heck, maybe you link out. Maybe you put one of those big screens up that gives the link and says, Sony made us take this down. Here's where you can find the image we're talking about. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. It really depends on what you're so inclined to do. And I, of course, can't guarantee the legal ramifications of that action, because even though we're looking directly at a case on point, it's no guarantee that the next judge will see things the same way. Which brings us back ultimately to the main reason I started this series. If it were just materials, if it were just takedown notices based on using stolen screenshots, I probably still would have discussed it, but it wouldn't be this many weeks long discussion of a series of events that have taken place since this all started. No, what got it started was the fact that Jeremy at Geeks and Gamers said he did a live stream, said he didn't use any copyrighted material. We couldn't access that. We couldn't see that for ourselves. But as the days went on, seemingly everybody that had watched that live stream vouched for him there. We still wanted to address this particular issue. And in fact, Jeremy wanted to address this particular issue as well. It was only a couple days ago where he told Musso, I'm still waiting for you to respond to the counterclaim on my main YouTube channel which you also struck when I didn't show any copyrighted material. And if the video being taken down is the solution, why didn't you just block it to begin with instead of striking channels? I'm losing revenue every day because you struck my main channel. Yeah, the YouTube system works to say if you get struck on a live stream, you can't live stream for a period of time. So while Jeremy might want to fight it, he's also saying in the alternative, yeah, I think this is all stupid. I didn't use any material at all. But why jump straight to a strike that prevents me from live streaming when you could have just blocked it since that's all you wind up asking for in these other emails is just take the video down and we won't strike it. And YouTube gives you that ability under the content ID claims, which you can clearly do manually as an agent of Sony. So why didn't you do that? And fortunately, in the middle of the night, the reason I am doing what I believe to be the final video in this series at this point in time, he got his wish. Said, Dear Geeks and Gamers, in accordance with the DMCA, we have completed processing your counter notification. The following videos have been restored unless you have deleted them. From YouTube. Said another way, within the 10 to 14 day window put forth by the DMCA, YouTube has restored his video under the counter, which means that they did not receive information from Musso or from Sony or anyone else claiming ownership of those copyrights that they were going to proceed to court that they were going to seek a legal action on this front. Could that change? Absolutely. Sony has seemingly changed their mind every 48 hours on this particular story. But for right now, the main item that attracted my attention here, a discussion of facts about a narrative without use of any imagery or cutscenes or anything else, which was the most obvious abuse of the DMCA, appears to have been rectified as of right now. So at the end of the day, whether you are talking about settlement, whether you're talking about what has been proposed, whether you want them to fight it, whether you think it should all be fair use, it appears this story is coming to a close and with a generalized positive outcome for the content creators that have been covering it and that have gone through, quite frankly, a lot of difficulty in covering it over these past few weeks. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, check out the videos that I have linked. Here to see the other folks' discussion of what has happened. As you can see in my current video up here being highlighted, we recently talked about what appeared to be the end of this kind of situation. This is the follow-up to that video. But we talk about other things despite the Last of Us leaks in this space. We talk about Destiny and Doom. We talk about media, law, pop culture, business, and all that fun stuff as well. So if you think somebody would be interested in this channel, please share it with them.